guys uh, have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up Psalm 34, and we'll take a, a look at a couple of interesting psalms. Uh, you notice this one has a heading. Not every psalm has a heading, but some of them do. And this particular psalm is the, the happiness of those who trust in God, a psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. You ever done something really dumb in your life? Because, yeah, usually, I don't usually write a song about my most embarrassing moment. But really, that's what, that's what David has done here. If you remember the story, David was living with, uh, with the, um, uh, who is it, Philistines. And he's, he's living with the Philistines, and he's trying to serve the Philistines and pretend like he's, he's not really a Philistine. And, and uh, he gets himself trapped in a situation where it looks like he's going to go have to fight his own people. And he's not sure what to do and how to get out of it, so he decides to act crazy. He starts slobbering all over himself. The, the Bible tells he, he fills up his beard with spittle, and he raves like a you know like a crazy man running around i don't know banging his head on the wall i don't know what he's doing but the 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 behavior that he exhibits causes the king at that time whose name's not abimelech abimelech is a title it means my father is the king it's a it's a what they call a dynastic title you'll hear a lot of guys in the bible named abimelech it's not because they're named abimelech it's because they're the king. So they, they take that title. But the king says, man, you are loony. So he throws him out and David leaves and writes a song about it. Writes a, a worship psalm to proclaim the happiness or the blessedness of a man who doesn't try to solve his own problems himself. That probably wouldn't be any of you guys. But occasionally I catch myself trying to solve my own issues with my own wisdom. And I find myself at times in a Philistine camp, which is probably not the place I want to be. And I look around and I think, well, this is really not where I want to be. And this is really not what I want to be doing. But because I'm trying to to solve the problem myself, uh, I end up looking lame and that's what david discovered his own plans his own purposes his own designs had led him to a place where he looks lame where all the people who at one time were singing songs you guys remember the songs right saul has killed his thousands but david his tens of thousands that's the people he's hanging out with the ones he killed ten thousands of and now they're looking at this guy who's the great hero of Israel and he's acting the part of the fool. But what one thing we learn as we work our way through the struggles of life and the struggles with the choices we make and the decisions that we make is we begin to realize that it's those very things, those choices, those roads that we walk that begin to shape us, our character, who we are going to be. If we can be forward thinking and not backward thinking. You know that Paul wrote a little bit about that, right? He said, 
Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but this one thing I do. Do you remember the, which, the next part? I don't spend my time looking backwards. This is a Jackie paraphrase. I spend my time looking forward unto Jesus, looking at him. And if we can learn that, then we, like David, will take things that were embarrassing moments and things that we, we'd like to have stricken out of the record of the Bible. Let's just leave that story out. And really, if you're David the king, you're going to tell the story of Bathsheba? Yeah, let's, let's forget that chapter. You're going to tell the story about this when you, went, you acted crazy and, and they threw you out of, of town while you acted like the fool? Are you going to tell the stories of your failures? But here's what we discover when we look at the heart of David and the, and the heart of men who are willing, in, even in their struggles and their failures, to be forward-looking, to say that this is, this moment, this time has shaped me into something that God can use. And if we look ahead and not behind, forgetting those things which lay behind, I press on. That phrase, forgetting those things which lay behind, doesn't mean I pretend like they never happened. It just means I don't live there. I don't spend my time trying to walk forward while I'm looking backwards. That ever work for you guys? It doesn't work for me. I tend to trip over things. I got two left feet. Uh, That's why I don't dance. Not only do I have two left feet, I have virtually no rhythm at all my, my wife i don't know my, that might be the problem shoes too big my wife tells me she doesn't know what i listen to when i listen to music she, she's like do you hear the beat at all or or what are you listening to the tambourine in the background don't dance to that part you know so a, a long time ago i decided that wasn't my gift but if i'm looking backwards and walking forward jesus had something to say about that you guys remember what he said He said, no man putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. So he's telling us, I I can't live in the past. I can't live in my failures. I can learn from them and move forward. And really, that's what Psalm 34 is about. It's about learning from the mistakes we make, the decisions that we make that were poor, and saying, you know... It's better for me to learn to walk trusting the Lord, not looking back at what I've done wrong. And the other key in that is if we can learn to do that for ourselves, we can learn to do that for others. I don't know if you, you guys are aware, but when we, when we see the failures of others, most people, I won't say all, but most people recognize it, their own failure, and they beat themselves up and up. They, they probably don't need more people to do it. But somebody who can come alongside and support them, Somebody who can come alongside and encourage them. Now that could be a blessing. So, so we want to try to be that for one another. So look, Psalm 34 begins in verse 1 with this phrase. I will bless the Lord at all times. Now, I want you to get a picture. Get the, get the picture in your mind. He didn't. That's how he ended up where he was. He couldn't bless the Lord anymore. It was getting to be a long battle. I'm tired of living in the caves. I'm tired of Saul hunting me all the time. Forget it. I'm just going to go join the other guys. I'm switching teams. But now he makes a profession of, of will. He says, I will. I'm making a choice. You guys hear it? I will praise the Lord at all times. And when we, we, we talk about those sections where the Bible tells us to rejoice in the Lord 
The scripture tells us to rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. The scripture tells us to trust in the Lord. The key is in all of those things and in all of those struggles, when he calls us to praise him and and to lift his name and to rejoice in the midst of our tribulation, it's not to rejoice because you have cancer. It never calls us to praise God because life is hard. It tells us, scripture tells us that our joy is him, in him. And if we can bring God central into our life so that our focus moving forward is, I'm going to him. Where are you headed today? I'm headed to to heaven, to life eternal with Jesus Christ. And if I can keep that forward, it gives me reason to praise, even though today wasn't such a great day. Or even though there are struggles and difficulties that we have to overcome. I can make a statement of will that says, I will praise the Lord at all times. Because he's worthy of praise whether things are hard right now or not. Because if I can see his immense value and and the treasure of who Christ is, it gives me cause to praise. Look, I don't care how bad the day is. You put two grandmas together in a room who have grandkids, they got something to praise. And you all done it. If you got grandkids, you sat down and you opened up your billfold or your purse and you pulled out some pictures and they pulled out some pictures and you talked about how beautiful your grandkids are. How were you able to praise them even though you don't feel good or even though the day was, has been a hard day and a difficult day? Because you treasure them. You love them. (laughs) Now, if we love the Lord that way, His praise shall continually be in my mouth. No matter what's going on, I can praise Him. Because He is worthy. If we're struggling in that concept, then we don't understand the treasure of who Jesus Christ is. And if we don't understand, then that's where we need, to, we need to get our eyes on what really matters. What really matters, what's really important. Because if, if what this book says is true, and I'm sick, and the doctors can't make me well, and I'm going to die, what's the downside? I'm going to be with him. I'll be with him. If he is as valuable as the Bible tells us, then there's no downside. I have the ability to praise because Jesus is worthy. God is worthy of the praise. And that's what David's discovering. He said, at one time, you know, I let my circumstances get too hard, too heavy. And I ended up working for the enemy. I ended up selling out and going to the other team. But he's making a choice. I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise will continually be in my mouth. I will constantly be praising him. He says in verse 2, My soul shall make its boast in the Lord, and the humble shall hear of it and be glad. It's the exact picture that I just declared to you of of grandparenting. Since I've been a grandparent, it's been a perfect picture for me. So I, if I sit down and somebody wants to, they come into my office and they look up on the wall and they see pictures of Addie or Jackson up there on the wall, I, I don't have no problem telling stories about my grandkids. I don't have no problem. That's exactly what David's talking about right here. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. If I sit down with somebody, I want to talk to them about the Lord. I want to share what God's doing and how God's moving and 
why God has so much value in my life and why he's my treasure. Because wherever I go and whatever I do, I, I want to I proclaim him. And that's what he says. The humble will hear of it and be glad. The humble, the idea of the humble is going to go on and, and talk about those who seek the Lord and those who fear the Lord. It's all the same category. It's people who are looking to God as their hope. So he's saying, man, the humble are going to get it. The humble will hear me bragging about the Lord, and they're going to be right there with me. And then in verse 3, he says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Jesus said, same concept. Jesus said, if I am lifted up, exalted, raised, I'll draw all men to myself. If we exalt the Lord and magnify the Lord in our life, he will use that opportunity to bring people to him. If we exalt or magnify the Lord. If we exalt or magnify ourselves, nothing good comes out of that. And that's really what David was doing in this particular time in his life. He's tired of, of God not making him king, so I'm going to go be with the Philistines. Forget this. So... Now he's trying to exalt himself, but he's learned from his past. He's not living in his past. He's learned from it. He's moving forward. And he says, I'm going to magnify the Lord. I'm going to lift his name up. Not my name. I'm going to lift his name up. And that is going to bring the hopefulness that I need in my life. Now, in verse 4, he tells us, I sought the Lord and he heard me. And one of the things, one of the incredible things in Jeremiah 29 you guys uh, are familiar probably with Jeremiah 29, 11, uh, where the Lord says, I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of good, not of evil, to give you a future and hope. As the children of Israel are going into slavery, this is when God's telling them that, but he gives them this little tidbit about verse 13. He says, you will find me when you seek me, when you seek me with your whole heart. God says, if you want all of me, you can have me. If you want a piece, just a part, you just want to add me in to your already cluttered existence, I don't know that I'm interested in that. But if you seek me with your whole heart, I'm, I'm welcome. All of me is welcome to, to be a part of your life. Then the Lord says, you'll find me. What is it that we know about David, about his heart? The Bible says he's a man after God's own heart, that he was a... Man of integrity, which means he had an undivided heart. That his heart was open for all of the Lord. And so he says, I sought the Lord. And when he sought the Lord that way, what happens? He, he finds the Lord. The Lord is with him. The Lord heard his cry. Sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Now David is probably freaking out a little bit. I mean, let's just face it. Here's the choices that David made. Uh, they're singing songs about me to the king of the Philistines about how I killed all these people. And this is the place I chose to hide. And now kings in, are starting to look at me sideways like, I don't know if this David guy is really, you know, he killed a lot of us. And so he gets afraid. The word there in that verse for fear is not mild fear. It's terror. It's, I'm freaking out, which is kind of the picture you get, right? David freaks out and comes up with a plan to make himself look crazy so he can get away from, from those people. But he says, when I sought the Lord, I'm sure as he's running from the city and, and the embarrassment, this guy's going to be a king, 
right? Can you imagine your king doing that? Going over, let's let's just bring it to today. President Obama goes over to Iran, gets a little nervous, decides to act crazy, like a crazy guy, spittle all over his face, slobbered, making no sense, banging his head on the wall just so he can get out of the meeting. Kind of embarrassing, right? <laughs> I, I know some people can, but we get the idea, right? That's David. That's what David's done. But he said, when I sought the Lord, when I called on his name, he heard me. I came to the Lord with my whole heart. He heard me, delivered me from all my fears. And then you see in verse 5, he, he uses a personal pronoun, a plural personal pronoun. He says, they and their. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. And this goes back to the concept of the humble. And it looks forward to the concept of those who fear the Lord and those who seek the Lord, those for whom the Lord is their, their hope. So he's saying, the, the people, unlike me when I was full of all his terror, the people who are, are, are looking to the Lord for hope, it says they look to him, which is meaning they're looking to God, and were radiant. And that word radiant in the Hebrew, it's a word picture. It, it, it means the, the way a mother's face lights up when she looks at her children. So they're saying, it's the exact same illustration I just gave you. He, David is saying, when you have your treasure, like the treasure that your little children are to you, when, when the Lord is your treasure like that, when you look to Him and your face lights up with the idea of seeing Him and knowing Him and being near Him, He says, then you're like these guys. You're like these guys who look to Him and they're radiant and their faces aren't ashamed. They're treasuring the Lord. They're treasuring the Lord. He is their Everything. He gives us an example in verse 6. He says, So this poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. I'm sure he's talking about himself. Well, there I am, slobber all over my my face, and, and I feel stupid and most embarrassed I've ever been in my life, but I called out on the Lord, and he heard me, and he saved me. Because just because he got thrown out of the city doesn't mean the soldiers ain't coming, does it? So David's crazy, and he killed 10,000 of us? Let's go get him. David called out on the Lord. He called out on the Lord. The Lord stilled his heart. It says, that poor man, this poor man cried out. The Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And literally, when we go through the Psalms and we see that idea, out of all his troubles, I want you to understand, it doesn't mean that God delivered him like he reached down grabbed David, picked him up, and he's, he's raptured away from the trouble he's at in, in, in the, the, the Philistine land, and, and God drops him in Jerusalem or in the cave where he's safe. That's not what happens. What happens is, God comes to him in his trouble, and, be, and is his strength, and his comfort, and his presence is with him, so that David can get from where he's at to where he needs to be. When the Bible talks about God saving us from our troubles, it's talking about God giving us the strength we need for the journey. Does that mean God never 
will pluck people out. No, we see God doing that every time he heals somebody. Or every time he does uh, works a miracle on their behalf. But that's not the, what, what the David's talking about. When David talks about it, he's talking about God is with me. Now what he said in the 23rd Psalm, you guys remember? Yea, though I walk through what? Then where's God? Yeah, he's with me, right? You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What's that mean? Not that God took him out of it, but that God walked him through it. That God was his strength during that time that God carried him through, that God gave him what he needed. In verse 7 it says, And the angel of the Lord. Now, when we see this title in the Old Testament, it's talking about the pre-incarnate Christ. It's Jesus before he wore flesh. What we, what we do when we translate sometimes is we just speak words into English. Angelos. Angelos is communication or messenger. But we don't write messenger, we write angel. Now, does the Bible talk about angels? Well, sure it does. I, I mean, beings that are something other than what you and I are? Yeah, well, they got names. You know what their names are? The, yeah, they got real names. Gabriel and Michael, but they also got other names. They're called seraphim, and they're called cherubim, and they're called living creatures. And when they're described, they're trippy looking. The Bible talks about them having six wings, four faces. That's kind of wild, right? That they don't have to turn. When they, when, they, when they turn, all they do is fly in that direction. So they... They go in sharp 90 degree angles as they, as they move around. So there's a lot of, of pretty wild things that the Bible talks about when it talks about angels. But there's a specific angel that when you work your way through scripture, oftentimes the, the A will be capitalized, although not always. But it is always delineated by this. The definite article, the, not an, the angel of Jehovah, Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D. Now, I want to give it to you in terms that John, the disciple, wrote. In the beginning was the Word. Now, think about what the Word is. The Word is communication, isn't it? Isn't the Word? That's right. Being able to express who is God's expression of himself to you and I. Jesus Christ, right? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. That makes the Word eternal. God never had a beginning or an end. So the Word was with God. And the Word was God. In case you were a little bit worried about whether or not he was or is God the Word. And verse 14 of John chapter 1 tells us. The word did what? Became flesh and dwelt among us. So before Jesus became flesh, he appears in a variety of places. The, the theologians call it a theophany. A theophany is an appearance of God where people see God. Is there stories in the Old Testament about people seeing God? The, the, does the Old Testament say there are there guys who say, I saw God? What about, were there guys who said, I saw God and I'm supposed to die because no man can see God and live? Is that true or not? So the Bible tells no man can see God and live. The, that, that part, this is, this is where, 
a lot of the concept that we see throughout Scripture of the Trinity comes from. No man can see God and live. How does, how does man see God and live? Because he sees the expression, we just talked about it, right? The expression of God. What does Colossians tell us about Jesus? He is the expressed image of the invisible, unknowable, unseeable God. That through him and by him and for him, all things were created. Without him, nothing was created that was created. That's how the word speaks of Jesus Christ. God's expression to us. The invisible, unknowable God is expressed to you and I through Jesus Christ. So all throughout history, from Genesis to Revelation, when someone saw God, they were seeing the expression of God. They were seeing the express image of God. They were seeing God the Word. God the Son. The Old Testament called Him the angel of Jehovah. The angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord that Joshua saw. You guys remember? Joshua's getting ready for battle and he sees the captain of the Lord's army. He knows who he's talking about. Samson's parents. They saw him. Abraham saw him and talked to him. Said, hey, uh, you're going to go destroy those cities with lots there. What if there's 20 righteous people there? Will you still destroy the city? You guys remember the stories? All of those are appearances what theologians call theophanies. Theos, God. Epiphany, appearance. The appearance of God. And if we keep in accordance with what the Word of God teaches... That's Jesus Christ. And this, this is how the Old Testament delineated him for him. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Jesus doing the work that he did throughout the Old Testament and into the New. His protection. Literally the name, Yahweh of the Sabaoth, the Lord of the hosts, the captain of the Lord's army. Same kind of concepts as we're discussing here. Now, verse 80 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We've heard that before, right? Taste and see. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means experience and understand. Have you experienced that God is good? Have you experienced that He's good in your life and that He, he, he will bring about good things? Have, do you perceive the fingerprints of God in your hand. I was meeting with a guy this morning. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced it. I see it best when I look back. You ever look back at your life to see the fingerprints of God and the things you were doing in the past? The choices, how you got where you are today? You look back and you say, oh, I took a left there and a right there. And, and I don't know how I got through that. And as I look back, I see, perceive the fingerprints of God moving and working in my life. Taste and see that the Lord is good. When I look back, I can see. When I'm in the middle of it, it's hard to perceive. Right? I see the wind and the waves and the storm. Like the disciples when they're on the boat and the storm's blowing. And they're freaking out and they run to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? You ever felt that way? Disciples did. Lord, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? This is hard. This hurts. I'm afraid. And so Jesus came out and said to them, O ye of little faith. And he spoke, peace 
be still. What happened? Everything stopped. In fact, we look in the Gospels. The Gospels tell us that Jesus rebuked the storm. That word rebuke is an interesting word. He only uses it when he's talking about demonic activity in the Gospels. Is it possible for demons to bring a storm? I would imagine. So the Lord, the scripture says, rebuked the storm. And it stopped. And then he went back to sleep. And the disciples are like, oh, whoa, what kind of man is this? He said, be quiet. And the waves stopped. But you guys remember what happened next? Next time they were in a storm, what happened? They're just rowing. They just keep rowing. They keep rowing. Why? Because they know. God can say, peace be still at any moment. They learn. It's hard to perceive the fingerprints of God in the middle of the storm, but you can trust because you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And that's what David's telling them. He's saying, hey guys, taste and see that the Lord is good. And then look what he says at the second half. Blessed is the man, or oh how happy is the man who trusts in him. Was David happy while he was acting the fool and being laughed at and thrown out of the city? He's not happy when that's going on. He's embarrassed. He's, he's feeling a lot of other things, but he's not happy. So what's he proclaiming? He's proclaiming that, that if I just leave my trust in God, I will be happy. I will have peace. I'm in the right place I'm supposed to be if I'm trusting God. If I'm in that place where I trust in him. Then he calls to the people around it, Just the they. Remember the they and the there? He calls to them. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. Everybody who believes. Fear the Lord. What's the Bible tell us? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A lot of places, a lot of churches are afraid to talk about the fear of the Lord. It's kind of interesting. And they, and they try to soften it. Well, let's not soften it. It's okay to be afraid of God. When you stand in front of him, you're not going to have a hard time comprehending that. Right? I mean, can you imagine what that moment's going to be like? It's a little fearful. Uh, There are things I fear. When I did, when I was 30 years old, I thought I was getting old when I was 30. Can you imagine something so crazy? Wow. I'd like to go back there. I thought I was getting old when I was 30, and and so before I died, (laughs) because I was getting so close at the time, uh, I said, I, I'm going to bungee. I want to bungee jump. So my wife thought I was crazy. And I had long hair back in those days. Rebellion was still going on. And so I went to, the, to, to Vegas at Circus Circus. They had a bungee jump 200 feet roughly. And you go into water if you want to. And so I want to do that. that I want to do that bungee jump. I want to jump off. So I go to it. And when you get up on the tower, it's, 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 you can see through it. I don't know, what, what kind of metal do you call that? It, huh? I don't know, yeah. It's metal, but there, you can see through it. You guys know what I mean? There's holes in it. Yeah, like grating. And you're 200 feet up in the air. So it's, it's a little uh, fearful. I don't know how you guys do with heights, but I'm not a big fan of it. So they tie your feet together. I just want you guys to get the picture. They tie your feet together with a big rubber band. So you can't walk. 
And you're sitting on a, on a little bench like this on the back end of the tower. And they tie your feet together and you're hooked to this giant, well for me it was giant because I'm not a small guy. Giant rubber band thing, right? Because you're going to bungee jump. You don't want that breaking. You know what I mean? So that, I don't know how much that weighs, but it's heavy. And it's hanging over the edge. And then attached underneath at the bottom of the tower. And they say, after they tie your feet together, get to the edge. How am I supposed to get there? Jump. What do you mean, jump? Yeah, like this. And every time you do that, that bungee pulls you a little closer to the edge. And then you hop again. And you got to get all the way to your toes or hanging over the edge. Yeah, it'll freak you out a little bit. If it don't, you're not alive. So, I was afraid. Now, my fear didn't paralyze me because I wanted to jump. But if I wasn't afraid, jumping off that tower wouldn't have been no fun. You think them dudes jumping off that bridge ain't afraid when they get to the edge of that bridge? Yeah, they're afraid. That's what makes it thrilling. Well, that's kind of a different way to look at fear, isn't it? It's okay to be afraid and just say, I'm just afraid. God's big, powerful, good, holy, and I'm not all that good, and I'm not all that holy. But when I get to the end of that tower, one day when I stand before God that way, my toes are hanging over the edge, and he says, welcome home, it's going to feel so much better than diving off of that tower did. It's going to feel so much better. And the reason it's going to feel better is because I fear God. It's okay to be afraid. The scripture tells us it doesn't, doesn't paralyze us. It doesn't stop us from doing anything. But it is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of understanding. He says, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The Lord is my shepherd. How's it go? I shall not want. Does that mean I'm always going to get what I want? Is that what that phrase means? No, but definitely means I'm always going to have what I need. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lack any good thing. You know that's what the Bible says. He's going to say it in just a second. We'll get there. If I don't hurry up, we're never going to get to the second chapter. So I'm going to hurry. So verse 10, the young lions lack and suffer hunger. Now think about a young lion, strong, powerful, in control of his destiny, could do whatever he wants. Everything on the planet of Africa is afraid of the lion. You know that? But the lion suffers and is hungry. But what's the next part of that phrase? In contrast, see the word but, that always means in contrast to that. Those who seek the Lord will not lack, what's it say? Any good thing. So if you don't got it, it ain't good. And we struggle with that. Because we're pretty sure, the book of Genesis says that the, 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 that mankind ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, so we know good and evil. You Do you believe that? I believe that actually happened. 
I believe there's a tree in the knowledge of good and evil, and I believe we ate the fruit. But the one who said, if I eat it, I'm going to know things like God knows, was the devil. All God said was, don't eat it. It'll mess you up. How did it mess me up? I have no idea what's good and evil now. Uh, you guys remember the story. Don't make me tell it again. You guys know the story? Just nod if you know the story. I'm going to tell it. All right. You didn't tell. Nod. Nobody nods. So how, how is it that we don't understand good from evil? Remember the farmer? The farmer. He's, uh, he's a farmer. And, and one day, a guy gives him a horse. And all his neighbors come over to him and go, Man, you, you just got the greatest thing. They give you a horse. It's like getting a new tractor. Back then. You got a horse, big, strong horse. And the farmer looks at him and goes, you know, whether it's good or bad, we'll see. And the next day, his son got on the horse, and he's playing around on the horse. And the horse bucks his son off, his son hits the ground, busts his leg, all up. And all his neighbors come to him and go, oh, I see what you mean. Turns out that was a bad horse. And the farmer goes, well, whether it's good or bad, we'll see. And about a week later, these guys come through taking all the young men who are healthy and able to fight and, and, and drafting them into the army to go fight. And his son can't go because he's got a broken leg. And all his neighbors come to him and go, man, you're, I, we, I understand what you're saying now, farmer. I get what you mean. Uh, maybe it's a good thing because your son doesn't have to go to war. And the farmer said, whether it's good or bad, we'll see. And so they go off to war and they have this crazy battle and they win and they all come back with just tons of gold. Tons of gold. And all those, all those neighbors are looking at the farmer and go, yeah, I get what you mean, whether it's good or bad, because your kid didn't go and mine did, and he's bringing back a bunch of gold. And the farmer said, whether it's good or bad, we'll see. You get what I mean? The story keeps going. I can keep going if you don't understand. The next thing, a bunch of robbers come and kill all their kids to steal the gold. Whether it's good or bad, we'll see. The story goes on. We struggle without God in our lives to perceive what is truly good and what is truly bad. Because we look at it from a man-centered point of view and God sees it from a God-centered point of view. He says, those who trust in the Lord will lack nothing good, right? Nothing good. So that's God's promise, man. They will lack no good thing. Now, verse 11, he says, come you children. You can almost see David as he's got all the little kids. He's come back to the cave and they're all happy. Come here, kids. Come here. Let me tell you something. Come you children. Listen to me. And I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Oh, I'm struggling with that concept. I want to understand that concept. What's that concept? Who is the man who desires life? You want a good life? And loves many days. That he may see good. So, who is it that desires a good life, a good, long life? Man, most people do, I think. So, here's what you do. This is... David's definition of the fear of the Lord. You ready? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. 
and depart from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. Just think about those things for a minute. Keep your tongue from evil. Yeah, that's... um, that carries the idea of gossiping, talking about other people, saying things about people when, when they're not around. Just keep your, keep your tongue from evil. Don't do that. And your lips from speaking lies. Stop telling lies. And depart from evil and do good. That means turn your back on what is wrong and go to what is good. How are you guys doing so far? You got it all nailed? I was in trouble on the first one. I'm definitely in trouble on the third one. Because my propensity is to see what's evil and want to go to it. If someone tells me don't do something, that's the first thing I want to do. If you want to see me fish, put a sign up that says no fishing. What do you mean no fishing? Why would they say no fishing? There must be a lot of good fish here. I'm sure you guys don't struggle with that nature, but I got that. I got that. He, but he says, if I'm going to do the fear of the Lord, I put my back to evil and I head toward what is good and I seek peace. I'm not looking for the fight. I'm not looking for anything else. So what is it? I'm, I, I, if I desire what is good, I'm going to speak what is true and pursue what is right. Speak what is true and pursue what is right. That's what the fear of the Lord looks like. Speak what is true, pursue what is right. What's he say in verse 15? For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. That's what he just described, was the righteous, right? The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. That means he's always looking. The idea is not just that God sees me, but his providence is with me. His favor. You get what I mean? You guys remember that fellow named Joseph, right? From a Bible, remember Joseph? He uh, had a dream. That one day all his brothers and mom and dad, they were, they were going to bow. Remember? And he told them all and they laughed at him. And you guys know how long it was between? Probably 20 years from the time he spoke the dream till he saw it. It's 13 years through his time as a slave and then in prison. And then after he gets out of prison, how long the Pharaoh had a dream. Remember Pharaoh had a dream? Seven years of plenty, followed by what? Seven years of famine. And so during the seven years of plenty, they needed to, to gather up all the, the excess, right? So they'd have enough for the famine. So it's at least another seven years before there's a famine. So seven and 13 is 20, right? And then it's probably not right at the beginning of the famine that his brothers come to him. So it's probably a few years into the famine. So at least 20 years from the time... He got a promise from God that he'd be the deliverer of his brothers and one day they would bow down to him till the fulfillment of the promise. Yet, what do we know about, about Joseph? Did he, did he speak what was true and walk in what was right? And was the providence of God with him? Were the eyes of the Lord with him? What happened when he was a slave? He was a lousy slave and nobody liked him? Or he was a good slave and, and Potiphar... Yeah, he, had a, he did good, right? And then he gets thrown into jail. And then, then he was a bad prisoner in jail, right? And, and the, the, guard, the guards didn't want Joseph around. Wow, he would, they practically made him the warden. 
The providence of God was on him. Why? Because he made a choice. Speak what's true. Pursue what's right. Speak what's true. Pursue what's right. Come to me, children, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. That's what David's shown. His ears are open to their cry. Their ears. The Lord hears them. It says in verse 16, The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Will every evil act eventually be paid for? Absolute truth. Every evil act will be paid for. It will either be paid for by Jesus Christ, or it will be paid for by the individual. But somebody pays for every wrong ever done. The Lord's eyes are against those who do evil. Look at verse 17. And the righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. There's that phrase. He delivers them out of all their troubles. Well, not, not that he snatches them away and they don't have to go through anything difficult. We know that's true. What, what, what did Paul say? All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, what's the next part of that? We'll suffer persecution. Did Jesus say times would get hard? That we would go through difficulty? Or did he say, if you come and follow me, life will never be hard. All, your plates will be full forever. Well, it's not, that's not what I read. So it says, that, hey, he saves me out of all my trouble. He's there with me. He's the strength. He gets me through my times of trouble. The difficulty that we go through. The Lord is near to those oh, who have a broken heart. What does that imply? How do you get a broken heart? Something went wrong, right? Well, your heart can be broken by your sin. You, you, you ran to sin for a time and your sin breaks your heart. But what's other ways your heart breaks? Somebody burns you. Somebody does something wrong to you. You go through a time of suffering or difficulty. What does it say? The Lord is where if your heart's broke? Near, right? He's near. He's right there. He wants to bring comfort. And what's the next phrase? Save such as has a contrite spirit. That means a person who's repentant. That means God is always willing to save the person who repents. Save the person who repents. The one who says, Father, forgive me. 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, we repent, He is always ready to save those who have a contrite spirit. Look at verse 19. You probably don't have this one on your fridge. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. I love the next part. But, in contrast to the troubles, the Lord delivers him out of them all. He carries him through. He guards all his bones, not even one of them is broken. John, the writer of the Gospel of John, says that that's a prophetic phrase about the fact that the bones of Messiah would not be broken. He, he did it, not me. He said... He guards all his bones, not one will be broken. They didn't break the bones, they didn't break Jesus' legs, right? They didn't break his legs, John says, because the Bible says God's not going to let him break his bone. Why? Broken bones don't produce blood. 
Well, what, who cares about that? Well, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that pays for the remission of sin. And the point, the picture, the illustration is the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to pay for everyone's sin. Not one bone's broken. He doesn't lack any blood to be able to cover or remove anyone's sin who will repent. That's why the Bible said not one bone will be broken. The blood is produced in the marrow, right? Not one bone is going to be broken. Evil shall slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Eventually, what's the point? The bad, the bad guy will get his due. Maybe not here, but he'll get his due. You don't have to worry about it. The bad guy will get his due. But the Lord redeems the soul of his servant. And none of those who trust in him will be condemned. Aren't you glad about that? Nobody who trusts in God will be condemned. Nobody who... Yeah, nobody. It doesn't say most. Most of the people who trust in God are going to make it. Does it say that? It says none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. And don't panic. I give up. I'm not going to do 35. Most, they're all going to be okay. What's David's point as we work our way through this psalm? Man, I got some crazy things in my life I'm not so proud of. And some bad choices that I made. And some times in my life when I wasn't trusting the Lord. So I'm going to write a psalm. I'm going to write a song, a poetry about that experience in my life. But the point I want to make is how happy you'll be if you trust him instead of trying to solve it yourself. If you trust God, you will experience all the good things that God has for you. You won't miss one. Won't miss one. Because all those who trust on him will lack no good thing. Right? Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.